You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Are you a New Year's resolution person? I have historically not been a New Year's resolution person. If I have things I need to make changes to, I just go ahead and make changes to them at the time when I have the appropriate data. That rarely lines up specifically with the new year. It could be Middle of July, for all I know. It's just whenever it is I feel like I need to make a change, whenever it feels like I need to make an adjustment to something or I want to aspire to something, I just do it then. So I'm not historically a New Year's resolution person. But this year, this year's different because my wife and I had an opportunity to talk a lot to each other over my Christmas break and... We came up with something that we think is important, and it's going to trickle through today's podcast, but I'll come back to that. The Buffalo Bills defeated the New England Patriots in a game that was not entirely exciting to watch if you were hoping for a blowout. If you were hoping for the Buffalo Bills to dominate the entire game on both sides of the ball, because Usually, it's a one out of three sort of situation, two out of three sort of situation, but it's not usually defense good, but offense and special teams not as good. Those two things usually don't go together. Historically, it's defense and special teams kind of clumped together. Either they were both bad or they were both good. It's an unusual game to have your defense be good, but your offense and special teams not be as great. And so because the offense and special teams weren't as great against the New England Patriots as we would have preferred, the game ended up being closer than they would have liked. And so the Buffalo Bills go into the game against the Miami Dolphins in week 18, and they can make the playoffs. For those of you who have been living under a rock, here are the Buffalo Bills playoff situations, the scenarios that would lead to that. If the Buffalo Bills win then it doesn't matter what happens with the Jaguars game and the Steelers game because those are the people they're competing with. 
for a wild card. Jaguars and Steelers. If they win against the Miami Dolphins, they're the number two seed, and they will play either the Colts or the Texans in the first round of the playoffs. If they lose, and both the Jaguars and Steelers also lose, then they'll play at Kansas City as the sixth seed. If they lose, the Jaguars win, but the Steelers lose, then they'll play at Miami again, back-to-back games, as the seventh seed. If they lose, and the Jaguars lose, and the Steelers win, same thing. They'll go back to Miami again as the seventh seed. If they lose, and both the Jaguars and the Steelers win, they're out entirely. They're 10-7, and they lose tiebreakers, and they are out of the playoffs. That's the situation that the Buffalo Bills find themselves going into in week 18. Now, obviously, there's some there's some tie stuff as well there, but we're assuming that ties are not going to happen because they very, very, very rarely happen. So, the Buffalo Bills are in this situation in large part because the offense hasn't performed the way that they wanted to in specific games. And over the last couple of games, the offense, specifically the passing attack, has not been overly effective. And it got me thinking, because a lot of things get me thinking. But I was thinking, does the fact that we're seeing miscues, sluggishness on the Bills' part in the passing game over the last few games, does it make you reflect differently on the former offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, Ken Dorsey? Do you feel similarly about Ken Dorsey as you now do about Joe Brady because the results are similar. One of the things that is interesting is I think that it's really important right now before everything gets crazy with the playoffs and everything like that to go back and remember the way you felt about Ken Dorsey and why you felt that way. If you were someone who said, no, we need to fire Ken Dorsey because all execution errors inevitably fall on the coaches. You didn't teach them right. You didn't run the play to the best of their abilities. That was a lot of the conversation. I had arguments like that on social media. That execution issues, receiver runs a wrong route, player drops a pass, guy misses a block. Those are coaching issues. All execution problems are coaching problems. In fact, I stood on this pod, metaphorically speaking, and said over and over again, we need to make sure we criticize Dorsey for Dorsey things. And don't criticize Dorsey for non-Dorsey things. And that delineation was really important. But if you were the type of person who said execution errors, all of them, if they happen, you know, more than once, if you have a trend of them happening, then they fall on the coaches. Then you've backed yourself into a corner now. Because now you have to blame Joe Brady. You don't have a choice. Logically, you've backed yourself into that corner. And we have a trend. We have multiple games of the Bills passing attack being not good. Now, this is really important. I did not say we have a trend of the Buffalo Bills passing game being bad. We have a trend of them being not good. Why does that matter? Because smack dab in the middle of our trend sample, we have a Dallas game where they barely threw the ball at all. We have no idea what the passing attack would have been if they would have thrown it 35 times. 
We just knew what it wasn't. So it wasn't good. It wasn't productive. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was bad because there wasn't a significant sample size. So in the middle of our larger sample size to determine a trend, we also have a sample size issue for one game. But you can go back four games. You can take the Dallas game and throw it completely out. You can go back four games. And the passing attack still hasn't been up to the standards that you would expect for a team that has strong offensive line, Stephon Diggs, and Josh Allen, and Dalton Kincaid, but we'll get into that later. So we do have a sample size of that. And if you're the type of person who already established earlier in the year that execution errors in the passing game over a significant sample size enough to constitute a trend is now on the coordinator, now you have to put it on the coordinator. This is the issue. This is why it was so important for me to delineate and say, no, blame Dorsey for Dorsey things, blame players for players things, Josh Allen for Josh Allen things. So many people were blaming Josh Allen misfires on Ken Dorsey. Well, now you have to blame him on Joe Brady. That's the rule. That's the way it works. This is why the why matters so much more than the how and the what. This is why. Because yes, there are miscues and sluggish in the Bills passing game over the course of the last few games. But the reason why is not the same reason that it was when it was Ken Dorsey. There are similarities that we're going to talk about, but it's not the same reason. If you listen to the people who watch the film or if you watch it yourself and you know what you're looking at, the reason why there's been sluggishness is different now than it was before. So the result is the same, but if you were a results-based thinker and you just said result equals OC, which let's be honest, is a very common line of thinking. It's reductive, but it's common. Results equals OC. Well, it's not Josh Allen. It can't be Josh Allen. Therefore, results equal OC. The problem is, if you already established that with Dorsey, logically, you have to now extend that to Joe Brady. And you back yourself into a corner. Logically, that's bad. I will say one commonality, and I'm going to continue to pound this drum. Please, why? Why are we not running more play action? I've been pounding this drum for what feels like forever, Ever since Ken Dorsey took over, there was a dip in play action. This was a 2022 issue. Are there just not enough play action plays in the playbook? Like if we give Joe Brady an entire offseason, which we don't know if he's going to get or not, would he come out with more play action? We know there was an uptick in motion, but there hasn't been an uptick in play action. And there should be. Mash the buttons that you're good at more. When Joe Brady was asked about the Dallas Cowboys game, he goes, well, it was working, so we mashed the button. I just need you to extend that exact same theory. I want logical consistency. If you said, well, it worked, so we kept pressing it, great. You know what else works? Play action, so keep pressing that button too. That is a similar criticism with Joe Brady and Ken Dorsey. But the reason why the Buffalo Bills have been sluggish and had miscues in the passing attack over the last couple of games is not the same reason, in my opinion, that they had struggles earlier. We talked about this when Ken Dorsey got fired. We said that because of the significance associated with option routes in that offense, you were ending up with very disjointed 
route structures where it didn't really look the way it was supposed to look locked in. And so it didn't look as good on tape because all it would take would be one person to read something differently and then there'd be miscommunication. I don't think it's a miscommunication issue as much anymore. I don't see that in the passing game. What I see are missed opportunities because when a receiver wins, a lineman doesn't. And when a lineman wins, a receiver doesn't. That's what I'm seeing. It's different this time. I'm going to come into this offseason and go, we need more at the receiver position. Now, I've been saying that for years, but I really, really need it at this point. Who do the Bills have who's a dynamic weapon with the ball in their hands? James Cook, I think, is, is a good player with the ball in his hands. Is Stephon Diggs a dynamic player with the ball in his hands? No. Khalil Shakir? No. Gabe Davis? No. Dalton Kincaid? Break a tackle? Make something? But, I mean... You're not going to get a lot of dynamism overall in the level I'm talking about from a player like Dalton Kincaid. Go get me two new receivers. Somebody who can help you win vertically because Josh is missing a lot on the verticals. Get me someone like that and then get me somebody with the ball in their hands. It could be the same player. Get me somebody who's dynamic with the ball in their hands. And then you have situations against the New England Patriots where the guards didn't quite hold up the way they were supposed to. Osiris Torrance has been a very solid rookie this year. I did not think he played well against the Patriots. And historically, the Patriots have always been really good at interior pressure. And on plays where the receiver would win, Josh Allen would be forced to go elsewhere, forced to bite it or things like that because it didn't work. But if you watch the film, you watch the L22, you see these things, you go, oh man, if this just would have happened that play would have worked out. It, it feels and looks very different than the situation with Ken Dorsey. On plays when the receiver's winning, the line's not. And on plays when the line's winning, the receiver's not. And so for me, I like Khalil Shakir, but I don't want to count on him taking the next step to being a full-time wide receiver too next year. If he does, that's great, but I don't want to bank on it. I have seen everything online from he's our future wide receiver one to he's a wide receiver four. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. He's probably a completely reasonable wide receiver three, but I don't want to bank on this. I don't want to bank on Stefan Diggs holding up for two more years. I don't want to bank on Khalil Shakir. I don't want to bank on Gabe Davis coming back for a really reasonable salary and suddenly becoming somebody that he wasn't before. I don't want to bank on any of this stuff. Hope is not a plan. Greg Thompson, cover one. Famous for saying that. Hope is not a plan. So I don't want to bank on these things. If they happen, great. But I don't want to hope they happen so that you can get better stuff in the passing game. That's the difference for me when I watch the film. It's the difference between are not and cannot. When I looked at it with Ken Dorsey, I went, they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. When I look at now, they go, they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They just can't do it at a high enough level. I think you need better players. You got to isolate the variable. Is it still Dorsey's fault? Of course not. It only feels like that if you are a results-based thinker. Because I saw open receivers. Then I saw protection breakdowns. I saw the line hold up. And then I saw Josh Allen miss something. And then I saw the line hold up and the receiver didn't get open. So think about this in a very, very basic way. I know that football is far more complicated than this. Receivers have to win. Line has to win. Quarterback has to deliver a ball. Those are the three things that has to happen. 
Now, if one of them breaks down, your probability of success on that play goes down. If two of them break down, it goes way down. Ideally, you want all three of them to function at peak efficiency at all times. But when you're looking to assign blame, right, those are the three pillars that hold up success as an offense, specifically in the passing game. Because obviously, quarterback hands the ball off and, you know, waves at the guy when he runs 20 yards. That's awesome. But he didn't really do much. He may have checked at that run, but after the play, he didn't do much. Lions got to hold up. Receivers have to win. Quarterbacks got to deliver a ball. And it felt to me like always one of those things was going wrong. Josh Allen misses a throw. Receiver doesn't run a good route. Protection doesn't hold up. It was always something from an execution standpoint. But when you watch it on the ultimate, you get it. Like you're looking at it and go, I understand what this play was trying to accomplish. Sometimes with Ken Dorsey, because of the option routes and because of other stuff like that, you'd look at it and go, um, okay, where were you going with this? Like, what was the intent here? And it's hard when you have situations where the players could run wrong routes and it makes the play look weird on all 22. So you're like, how much of that is the player screwing up and how much of it's Dorsey's design? Because the play wasn't run as designed. And that's why I told you it gets really muddy. You remember this conversation? It gets super muddy. But it's actually a clean look when you watch Joe Brady's offense. It's a clean look. You can tell what it was intended to do. Oh, they were trying to do this. They were trying to do this. Okay, this guy was going to run off this safety and then we're going to go here. Like, that makes sense. We just had stuff pop up. And it's been that way for the last couple of weeks. And that's frustrating. But it's different. It's a different type of frustration than you saw with Ken Dorsey. So I bring this up to say that if you were logically inconsistent with Ken Dorsey, now you're in trouble. If you were, well, hey, results are on the OC. It's just the way it is. Results are on the OC. Well, now you have to blame Joe Brady. And so maybe it will cause us to rethink the way that we blame people if we are forced to extrapolate that and then hold somebody else to those same standards. But, you know, run more play action. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. This was going to be another short pod, and it just, it, it might still be, but it was, I think I rambled a little bit about Dorsey and Joe Brady, and it was a whole thing. But I promised you that I would talk about my New Year's resolution. And my New Year's resolution was about romanticism. That's not a word you hear used super often. But as we go into the final week of the season for the regular season, and maybe the final week of the Bills season, you never know what's going to happen. I wanted to talk a little bit about romanticism. Because I think it applies to the offensive coordinator conversation. And I think it applies to the Bills. And I think it applies to lots of things. But my wife and I decided... We had a tough year. 2023 was a tough year. 2024 is hopefully going to be better. But one of the things I wanted to do this year, and I aspired my New Year's resolution to be, was I wanted to romanticize as much of my life as humanly possible. Now, I'm going to go ahead and define that real quick. Romanticize, to deal with or describe in an idealized or unrealistic fashion, to make something seem better or more appealing 
than it really is. Romanticism. I want to romanticize as much of my life as I possibly can that is healthy for me to do so. I want to try and make every day the best day I could possibly make it. And I thought about the way that we can romanticize change. And we romanticized the change of coordinators from Ken Dorsey to Joe Brady. And now because of that, we might be inclined to hold Joe Brady to a different standard. And then eventually the rose-colored glasses wear off, which is, I mean, rose-colored glasses, that is the metaphor for romanticism. That's why they're rose-colored. You romanticize something by wearing rose-colored glasses. And there are certain areas in my life where I want rose-colored glasses. I want them. I don't care that it's different. It makes me happy. I don't care that it's the same Tuesday it's always been, and I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to stop doing work, and I'm going to sit down with my wife, and we're going to talk, and we're going to eat dinner, where we have some chicken and vegetables, and we're going to watch a show. I don't care if we've done that six million times before. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to put on my rose-colored glasses because I want to. But we romanticize change. And so when we start thinking about Sean McDermott, which I think we should have reasonable conversations about Sean McDermott this offseason, I still don't believe, regardless of what happens, that he will be fired. But I made a resolution to romanticize certain things in my life. I also want to not romanticize certain things in my life. I don't want to romanticize the bills. This is important. I want to romanticize my experience with the Bills. I want to remember, if you go out there and you tailgate, I want you to romanticize those moments because they're awesome. And you're not going to get them for a really long time. You get eight of them every year or nine of them or however many games you go to. And that's it. You got to wait a whole other year. So yes, romanticize those experiences. But what happens is we romanticize the Bills in the off season or during the week. And then the week comes or the season comes and something comes crashing down to reality and we're just devastated because we shouldn't have romanticized things we don't have as much control over. My wife and I, every morning now, we say, it's a great day to be your husband. She says, it's a great day to be your wife. We started off this way because we're romanticizing the day. So it's a great day to watch a Bills game, like all the time, because you don't know how many Bills games you're going to get. These are very limited things. 17, 18, 19, 20 of them every year. And then you got to wait months and months and months. So let's not romanticize the team, but let's romanticize our experience watching this game coming up. This is awesome. With the division on the line, you get to go down to Miami. There's going to be a lot of Bills fans. It's going to be rocking. What a great opportunity. Marv Levy, where else would you rather be? But right here, right now. That's romanticism. Let's do it. That's my New Year's resolution. I thought it was interesting, and I wanted to share it with you because I think it's related to this. I'm excited. And if the Buffalo Bills lose and the Jaguars win and the Steelers win and the Buffalo Bills are out of the playoffs, I will be glad that I romanticize that time. I don't have to romanticize the team. I still be very critical of the team. But my experience sitting on the couch, watching it with my wife, I can romanticize that. I can put on my rose-colored glasses because I don't know how many of them I'm going to get. And that's awesome. Let's do it. Plurality pie. Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots. Rasul Douglas, 11%. What a trade. What a trade. What a trade. Rasul Douglas, AFC Defensive Player of the Week. 
absolutely deserved it. Huge fan. Ed Oliver, 10%. He's shown up on this list multiple times this year. At some point at the end of the year, we'll go back and we'll look at how many people showed up on Plurality Pie. Ed Oliver will be high on that list. Daquan Jones, 9%. Welcome back. Immediate impact. Welcome back. Terrell Bernard, 8%. Flying around, making plays. The fact that Terrell Bernard went from, gee, I sure hope he can play, to how did we live without him in less than a season is one of my favorite storylines of the Buffalo Bills season. I feel like it gets overlooked a little bit because of the Sean McDermott drama. But Terrell Bernard, one of the best stories recently for the Buffalo Bills. Deion Dawkins, 7%. Dalton Kincaid, 7%. Ladies and gentlemen, people who look at receiving metrics are going to give you two thumbs up for Dalton Kincaid. They're going to go, yeah, hey, good solid. Good solid player. People who watch film are going to drool over Dalton Kincaid. I watched the defense on Monday night. I watched the offense on Tuesday night. The first player I looked at was Dalton Kincaid. And I was like, I don't know if I want to keep going. I feel like everything's going to be a disappointment at this point. He's that good. He is absurdly talented. He understands the game. He moves well. He is getting open against man coverage. He understands how to find the soft spots in zone. If you're having trouble getting the passing game going, my number one thing would be, hey, you know, make sure you're running more play action. Put Josh under center, run some more play action. My number two thing is just throw it to Dalton Kincaid. Flow the entire offense through Dalton Kincaid because he'll help you with that. Moving on. Spencer Brown, 6%. What a game. Josh Allen, 5%. Eh. Sam Martin, 5%. The punter. I mean, the punter can't get a huge piece of pie because it's a punter. But low-key, after not playing well for a couple games, Sam Martin arguably should have gotten a piece of pie last week. Didn't. Got one this week. Other 32%. I want a special shout-out here to Puna Ford. Sean McDermott deserves credit for the defense play over the last couple weeks. He also deserves blame for why weren't you playing Puna Ford? We were all like, why are you playing Jordan Phillips at one tech? The fact that it took other people to get hurt is really disappointing. And it's disappointing for me in part because it means you're less likely to be able to re-sign Puna Ford. And I'm going to want to talk about re-signing Puna Ford next year. But there was a media piece not too long ago where he talked. He said, this isn't really what I signed up for. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to help win games. Now, maybe there's still time to turn that around. But I'm going to be wanting to talk about re-signing Puna Ford. And I was very, very, very satisfied with what I've seen from Puna Ford. And I just keep going, okay, I'm going to give Sean McDermott credit for the way the defense has played the last couple of weeks. But I also need to give him blame because he's the one who would decide that Puna Ford isn't going to play. Obviously, there'd be input from the defensive line coach there. But... Why wasn't Puna Ford playing? And I think there's criticism there. We got one email to go through. And y'all know who it is. It's Evan. Well, here we are. Regular season finale, barring the Baltimore B team beating the Steelers, improbable, or the 5-11 and Tennessee Titans beating Jacksonville, highly improbable. The Bills will go to Miami in a win-or-go-home scenario. Luckily, Josh can't decide what he dislikes more, Jalen Ramsey or Marine Life. 
Buffalo will steamroll Miami through the air and on the ground. Three passing touchdowns, Shakir, Diggs, and Cook. Two rushing touchdowns, Josh and Cook. And a pick six by Daquan Jones. A thick six being predicted from Evan. Winning 42-17. Look out, seven seed. Look out, two seed. Orchard Park might be chilly next weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. I didn't feel great about this pod. It just didn't flow quite the way I wanted it to. Like I was reading my bullet points. I was like, maybe I did my bullet points too early, right? It didn't quite flow the way I wanted it to. So sorry about that for sure. But I have good news. I can always try again next week. I'm going to romanticize my experience doing this pod because I am grateful that I get to do it. And if not, then well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumpers. Rumpers.